season nine, y'all. Episode 64. Come on through. Dr. Peace Amadi graces us with her presence. Thank you, Peace, for coming through, sharing your expertise on mental health, on spiritual bypassing. You can find Dr. Peace on all the socials. It's Peace Amadi. A-M-A-D-I. Check the show notes. Hey, if you haven't already, review. Leave a review. This show, Faith in the Fresh Vibe, where we're decolonizing and deconstructing Christianity. I predominantly feature BIPOC voices on purpose. That's for your edification. It is free to your ears. From Treaty 7 lands in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, I am Ro Hattie. Enjoy this season. Enjoy episode 64 this conversation that hits you, especially if you grew up in church spaces. So let's just jump in. Dr. P. Samadhi, welcome to the Faith in the Fresh Vibe podcast. I'm so excited to have you here to regale us with tales and answers of all things mental health. So Ooh. welcome. Thank you. Answers. We'll we'll see about <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> answers. Fill a book or two. <laughs> All the answers. Just the easy answers. That's what that's what our society wants. Consumable answers. Right. <laughs> Tweetables. <laughs> Just give it to me in a TED talk. <laughs> uh, which you have. <laughs> that true, wasn't true. meant to be shade. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Maybe we'll do take two. Uh, nah. We said it. I said it. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. The questions that I'm asking, I ask all guests the first question, and then in this season, which is around mental health, I ask the second question. So the first one is to situate yourself for listeners. Where are you located? Whose lands are you currently situated on or previously situated on? Yeah, so currently I am in Houston, Texas, uh, temporarily. I am a Cali girl, Southern Cali girl. Um, and I really appreciate the question about the lands because I need to do my research, to be honest. So if you're here listening and you're in a place where you don't know whose lands you're situated on, let's get on it. Because I know that's an important thing to know um, and the appropriate, you know, it's important to honor. So thank you for that question. I'm going to get on that. But for right now, I'm in Houston, Texas. <laughs> Houston. Yeah. Um, I've only been to uh, Fort Worth. Uh, which was just like sprawling highways and it blew my mind because I've never seen anything like that. Um, but Houston, I only know, <laughs> I, I'm laughing, I guess, I don't know, at myself, but because of all the, f I watch a lot of food shows. And so all these different food folks, they will visit Houston. And so anyways. Houston is absolutely known for food. My goodness. If you want some good food, y'all, Visit here. Come through Houston. Come through. Come I, through. I am not complaining. <laughs> Actually, an odd thing of Houston, which just came to mind, is that oftentimes Calgary, where I am situated, is is considered like a sister city. I don't know if they use that word, but very similar to Houston. Both oil towns, uh, oh. both <laughs> redneck roots, uh, both with the possibilities of becoming multicultural and a little more inclusive. So, oh, I never I knew guess, that. I guess we kind of share that. I don't know. That's, That's what so they say, whoever they is. Is the food amazing in Calgary? It depends where you are. I think it would be <laughs> more real. amazing in Houston, I think. But yeah. 
you know, I, I live on the West End and just like every city, there's going to be that, that end, that, uh, that red line district or east mm. of the tracks. It's always east. <laughs> so like, I live on the West End. So the east side's got way more of that flavor. Mm. <laughs> That's good to know for when I visit because I need to visit. Yeah, come through. <laughs> come through. We'll go up a mountain if that's your thing. That is my thing, actually. So, yeah, don't make sure you mean that because I will pop yeah, up at yeah. your door. <laughs> we'll go. We'll go. Done, done. I'm 40 minutes from the mountains. We go up to the top. Now, you have a lengthy, compelling, impressive resume. Uh, and you also have a book and another one coming, I believe. I'm actually in the middle right now of like it just my pitch went out um, a couple weeks ago. So we're right in the middle of seeing who's going to get it. But I'm excited. Yeah. A tenuous place for a writer. Uh, yeah. Uh, you yep. are many things, however, uh, least of which, not least of which is a mental health expert. Mm -hmm. Your book is awesome. Uh, why do I feel like this? So we're going to venture around that. But before... I asked the question of the why, if I were to ask what has compelled you into mm -hmm. this space, into your space, what is the compelling reason that drives you to teach, to write, to share? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the common denominator between all of these things is I like to say that my favorite place to hang out is at the intersection of mental health and faith. Um, and I think to a degree, we all become passionate about the things, not just we've experienced, but, um, have been hard for us. It's almost like we want to help people fare better than we fared around one thing or another. We want to help mm. people prevent to some degree, the pain that we had to endure that feels unnecessary at this point. When you look back, like it didn't have to be that bad. It didn't have to be that painful. And so for me, being at the intersection of mental health and faith, um, be it, you know, being a psychology professor at a faith-based school or writing books that merge the two, speaking, um, when I public speak, I merge the two and all of that. It's because, I mean, that's my story. You know, mm. um, I was raised as a person of faith, Christian faith, raised in the church, good old church girl, actually was, you know, a pastor's kid. Both of my parents co-pastored in Nigerian church and it was beautiful and colorful and celebratory and fun, but um, there wasn't a lot of understanding and support for mental health struggles or mental yeah. health in general, the importance of mental health, the importance of nurturing it or what to do when you're struggling mentally. And that's wasn't unique to my particular church or my particular household. I mean, that's, and it's not unique, I think you would agree, to Nigerian culture. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot yeah. of, you know, cultures can resonate with that. And I think the church in general was, yeah. you know, neither a place where yeah. mental health. Yeah, still, still. Yeah. I mean, it's getting better, but there's still a lot of work to do. And so growing up being a, for one, highly sensitive kid, which is a thing, being a highly sensitive person, um, and understanding way later in life that I genuinely struggled with anxiety for one, um, th I, there was, a, there just wasn't a lot of safety and support and validation, care, empathy 
for those mm. type of struggles. And it yeah. was really hard. And, yeah. you know, the, the sort of the common refrain was if you're worrying so much, you know, you're not trusting God enough, you're not yeah, praying yeah, enough, yeah. you know, Classic. like those type of messages. Right. Yeah. And so somehow, and I honestly do feel like this is the grace of God. Somehow I found myself being exposed in undergrad to psychology courses, psychology things. And like, um, being more curious about that field. I went in as pre-med, but I hated all my classes having to do with medicine and biology and chemistry and really loved understanding human behavior and mental health and made the decision to actually switch my major to psychology. That was a whole thing. I, I remember, as I was telling you earlier, I remember telling my family, yeah, I think I'm gonna pursue psychology. And they were just confused, like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but I just found I found a lot of answers straight yeah. up. I found a lot of answers mm. in psychology about, first of all, naming what I was going through, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. you know, and then see that there was like a pathway to healing or at least a pathway to managing so that I can function as a normal person. Oh, OK. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, where was this when I was, you know, back at home or back in the church, like seeking answers because I felt you know, like that I was doing something wrong spiritually, that I, I wasn't doing the right things. Like where was this framework? Very quickly became passionate about helping people of faith and honestly people from my culture or that would identify with my culture to recognize and stop demonizing, recognize mental health, stop demonizing mental health struggles um, and looking at emotional and mental healing just as crucially as physical healing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, to answer your question, it just yeah. literally came from what I craved, what I needed, what would have made, I feel such a difference in my life. Yeah. Um, that was the cat. Like when I'm hearing you props for having a vision of your own liberation and pursuing that mm. and then think, my liberation is also tied to the liberation of all these others who are not finding mm. answers to for liberation in the spaces that they're in. Thank you. Thank you for putting it that way. It makes it sound very powerful. <laughs> it but. is. A lot of people would, because most, I think, most would stop at a place where they, they would find, if they get there, if you even get here, they would stop at a place of, of healing myself. Uh, but your vision expanded into community, healing yes. others like me. Yep, absolutely. And you should write a book about that. <laughs> Don't give let's me talk about that book. Let's stick with faith and let's talk about that book. Let's just go right in. Uh, let's talk about, because you opened up the story with a story, I think, not in a precise way, but I think a, a story of spiritual bypassing. So, so I'll have you um, explain that term. But a moment when you're sitting in service and something struck you, it's some, some words, in fact, struck your body, your personhood to declare in many ways that you did not belong. And that is something I think every person across whatever intersection, and perhaps many, have experienced where they question, wait a minute, uh, not only did you other me uh, nonchalantly, <laughs> like as if it was nothing, you just othered me, but it's, it sows seeds of doubt 
of whether or not this place, Space Community Church, is actually for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, you're right. I do open my book on a story about sitting in a church, um, a, a church that I was going to at the time that, that I otherwise loved. This really, this really did impact me um, because it was a predominantly Black church. And in churches in general, there's predominantly women. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it, it, it was very weird to be in a, in a church that, you know, was full of faces that all, you know, were all other than that moment. <laughs> and so, um, um, long story short, uh, the pastor had been, he, I don't remember what he was talking about exactly, but he detoured to relationships. Everybody perked up because who doesn't perk up when you start talking about <laughs> relationships? And then he made a comment and I, you know, I may misquote it according to what I actually wrote in the book and what I remember. The message is the same, but it's basically he came down to saying, I know a lot of you all in here are, you know, seeking to be married. Um, but check this out. If you're not married, it's because you're not ready to like just period. Like the only reason you're not married is because you're not married to. And again, until I'm looking at a predominantly a, a, a church that is, there's so many black women. I remember a lot of single black women and we all kind of looked at each other like, what? Because mm -hmm. it just, <laughs> it just mm -hmm. felt like, how are you telling, you know, women who are in their thirties, forties, that they're not ready to be married? Like clearly mm -hmm. that's a very cute like thing to say, you know, like that's a very tweetable thing. Oh, if you don't have this in your life right now, it's because you're, you know, you're not ready for it or you don't deserve it yeah. or something like whatever the case may Jeez. be like, that's cute and tweetable. But yeah. um, the reality of the situation is there's so many and particularly systemic factors why that is the case. Right. And it just felt like we were being attacked and shamed for something that isn't totally in our control. My vantage point was also being a professor at a mm. predominantly white university where, you know, I'm watching 20 and 21 year olds get married um, very quickly, white women. And so in my mm. head, I'm already thinking like all the black women I know in their thirties and forties are not ready for marriage but all the 20 and 20 year old white women, yeah, yeah. they're ready for like, it just doesn't, yeah. it didn't make sense. And mm. that was just one of the reasons it didn't make sense, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I felt like it was, it could have been such a moment to not only like meet us where we're at um, and explore, you know, like the possible different reasons, or at least name and validate that there are different reasons that makes this complicated and not just make it like a super spiritual God says you're not ready thing because it was not only hugely false, it was hurtful. Like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And again, I have this immediate vantage point of in that moment, you made me compare myself to 21 year old white women. And in that position of mm -hmm. influence, it just felt really irresponsible to put such a blanket statement anchored in fast spirituality what it was was an example of spiritual bypassing and so you asked me you know to describe that and that's when we use sort of like cute christian or spiritual anyway but in this case christian platitudes mm -hmm. um yeah, easy statements right to yeah. to um essentially dismiss disregard very real struggles it's like a, we 
attempt to quick fix with the word things that aren't a quick fix. And it feels so much more about the person, whoever's bypassing the person feeling like they need to fix something and not just humbly accepting, like maybe you don't know the answers and that's okay. And like, just be with people in their pain and in their questions, Hmm. as opposed to like, I don't know, sometimes it feels like a God complex that spiritual leaders have, like they have to know the answers. And so they just spit stuff out. And it's like, that was way more about you and you like stroking your own ego and, you know, this sense of superiority than about you genuinely trying to help me. (laughs) Because if you really sat with me and listened to my story, you, you would not dare say something so silly. Mm -hmm. Institutional uh, think, I think is like Mm. systemic, uh, doesn't matter which institution, but there's, I, I wonder if this is too simple to call it generational, but yeah, needing to have the answer mm-hmm. and, oh, gross. And it causes yeah. harm. Yes, absolutely. And it, and it did. And, that, and that's just one example of many examples that I think, that I think so many of us have experienced at one point or another where somebody said something and you're like, what? <laughs> like, Yeah. Here's the question, and you use the term name, and I like that uh, term, but how do you turn the, what, you know, you've incurred something, but how do you turn that into uh, making sense of it? Like, how? what skills do you need? So we could focus in on how malformed leaders are, okay? Mm-hmm. Forget about them. Let's talk about, talk about us. What skills do we need and how to develop a sense around naming? Because oftentimes we don't even know what we're naming. Like, what just happened mm-hmm. to me? No yeah. idea. Mm-hmm. Like, something. I think something ain't right. Okay, that mm-hmm. part we might be able to identify. I don't even know. Like, I, we'll get to this here around emotions. What are we looking at? What do we need in ourselves in order to even name that harm? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, and I've heard you talk about this, you already have a value for this, but I honestly think that paying attention to your body is very important in these instances. I think we can't even get to a point where we can begin to articulate what happened until we trust what we felt happened in a way. So there was... I had such a physical reaction to saying that I, I, even in that moment, I don't think I right. I mean, I'm writing this book years later. So like mm-hmm. it, years later, I have an understanding of that. It's spiritual bypassing and gaslighting and all of that. But in that moment, I just knew it was off because I yeah. literally had a visceral reaction. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. like, and you felt it. You felt my whole row go like, I know you can't see me, but you felt my whole role sort of, back up you know when you like back up like skirt (laughs) you know like and it was the record (laughs) right it was it was such a visceral reaction to what he said because you are directly confronting our actively lived experience in a way that is so obviously incongruent to what we're experiencing and your body will always reveal that to you your body will always reveal to you that there is dissonance there is incongruence between you know, what is happening, what is being said to you, what is being called out of you and all of that. And what is genuinely you? Does that make sense? It does. I wonder, however, if you 
you you were reflecting back years later, but also had skills in the present time when the needle came off the record and you're like, wait a minute, just wait a tick. I think of, okay, I'll use my, myself as an example here. And you write around um, having clarity around core beliefs and how that is critical to developing a sense of self. Mm-hmm. But a lot of being alert or attuned to your body are skills that you need to learn. Mm. And when I think of myself, and I will paint with broad strokes and generalize, of men in the church, I was not, and I'm only barely (laughs) developing the skills now, of attuning to my body and being able to name what it is I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. Unless it is... Unless it is rage, mm-hmm. you know, anger, rage, that that manly men, whatever, uh, toxic masculinity has, is as it is embedded in our culture. Um, other than that, I can't really <laughs> name, feel different emotions. Um, well, now I can. But before, mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, maybe something wasn't right, mm-hmm. but I, I lacked the vocabulary yep. to give it name. So that I would suspect it's not merely men. I use that as, as an example, but what are the skills here to develop that alertness to be like, A, like some people don't even, can't even identify in their cells what's happening in the body. Mm-hmm. It, it Probably you could feel like, hmm, you know, and that could be as far, hmm, that didn't seem, hmm. But even like this, the very first step of, of adding substance to that, where, where does one go? Where does one begin, in fact, is the question. Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, it's, it's, like, every, it's like everything else. So you, you, ha- you, you do have to intentionally seek, you know, intelligence around your own emotions and around your own body. Mm. Mm-hmm. In the same way, like at some point we had to learn how to grow money, save money, budget money, communicate in our relationships, like naming and understanding your emotions is something mm-hmm. that needs to be learned too, which goes mm-hmm. back to why I write the things that I write. My yeah. book is literally, yes. why do I feel like this? Because yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know there are people out there that feel something, they feel it in their body. And maybe the most they can say is, oh, something is off. Something's a little uncomfortable, but I don't know what this is. And I don't know if it's okay to feel. And my book is literally telling you, this is what it is. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it's okay to feel this way. And this is how we hold it, manage it, move forward, move through it and all of that. So I think anyone, to anyone who's listening, who knows that they, they feel all kinds of things, but they don't know the words to put to it. I would say seeking out resources, be it books, be it podcasts, be it, you know, courses, whatever the case, whatever the case may be that teaches you about your emotions, emotions, because it, it isn't something that will just be naturally downloaded into you. If, if nothing, nothing yeah, is, you yeah. know, everything is a pursuit of knowledge and understanding and insight. Mm. Um, but the point I want to make is I just want to immediately validate and honor that when something feels off it's because it's off yes 
Yes. So now it's like, okay, I, I want to seek to understand this. And sometimes that just starts mm. with a simple conversation. Sometimes you can find those answers talking to a friend, you know, trust your body. Yeah. Literally trust your body. And, and, you know, it's a journey and I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying there's, we've been given this body and we, when we've been given these somatic experiences and these emotions mm. by design, they are mm. for our survival. Mm-hmm. You know, they are not, oh, good. they're not an antithesis to, you know. <laughs> yeah. They're not separate from us. I'm yeah. Sorry. They're not separate from us and they're not wrong. They're not by accident and they're not parts of us that we need to mm-hmm. die to. I, I think that's so weird. And that's, that's another sort of common. And I know like theologically there would be people that would disagree, but there's this kind of strange wedge that the church and spiritual leaders want to drive between our spirit and our body and our emotions. Like the spirit is good and everything is bad. And I understand how people get there from certain scriptures, but my take on those scriptures are very different. It's incomplete (laughs) too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You know, so, um, and yeah, we can talk about even just the Bible, you know, like there's all, there's so many angles we can go. I'm not trying to do that today, but I'm just saying that I personally don't believe that there's any part of us that needs to be cut off that it's all supposed to work together to help us survive yeah that's wholeness that's wholeness Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. we have compartmentalized our spiritual selves and our body body's profane it Mm -hmm. is sinful Mm -hmm. right and we need to Mm -hmm. rescue our souls to escape this world which is not just none of that is distinctly orthodox it's not christian yet it's so prevalent in our traditions so prevalent so prevalent value uh, how you are naming that this is a skill that needs to be learned um, mm-hmm. and and to just toss that out there to those who are listening and f- for myself, for, for the men who are listening, uh, we think that the skill is like <laughs> uh, you're going from input and then kicking out the only response you know, <laughs> which is a demonstration of a lack of skill, and that response is usually, you know, either problem solving or rage, some type mm-hmm. of anger. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah. like, and and so, it doesn't have to be that way. No, it doesn't. And I get, I get why rage is the first option. I mean, there's, you know, ideology behind that. I mean, rage is, at least, it feels powerful. We all want to feel powerful. We all want to feel in control. And anger and mm. rage is the emotion that gives you the most sense that you're in control. But the reality of the situation is rage is no more powerful than sadness. You know, mm. it's no more powerful than anxiety. It's no more powerful than mm. grief. It's Ooh, that's a that's a oh that's a word. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a it's all <laughs> it's all important information. And it's all working for our literal survival. Okay. Uh, speaking of rage, speaking of survival, <laughs> uh-huh. does the work for BIPOC folks look different? Hmm. In uh, you mean around anger? No, uh, around. I'm I'm totally generalizing here. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the to the skills that we need to develop. Mm. 
Is there, I, I can maybe think that there's additional work, but does the work look different when it comes to um, finding our liberation, uh, finding pathways to wholeness, whole selves? That's a big question. I it's think... so big. <laughs> <laughs> Answers, please. please. <laughs> Book farm, TED Talk. Yeah. <laughs> right? My first thought is there are times where it probably does need to look different. Um, I'm just thinking about my own life and... But one thing that comes to mind is like working at a predominantly white institution as a black woman. And in addition to that, you know, a first gen Nigerian, there was a a long time that I thought that my anger that I felt on a very regular basis was something that I needed to relieve and not show, you know, for Mm. my own own protection. Mm. I didn't Mm want to be mm -hmm. the angry black woman, you know, and then something switched and I feel like my work was around letting myself be the angry black woman and it not being my responsibility to placate anybody. Even if like, whether they're, it's like first, the the first half of, you know, my, my decade of being a professor, it was like, I don't want to lean into the stereotype. I don't want to give, I don't want to add gas to the stereotype. And then my second half was, I don't care (laughs) whether, you know, I don't care whether you give me, I don't care whether I feed into this stereotype or not. I am angry and I am a black woman. Yes. I'm an angry black woman. And that's what I need to be in this moment to be healthy, to be whole, to be true to myself. And it looks like, not that this is my goal, but it looks like um, being this person is gonna be the thing to finally show y'all that what you're doing does no longer works, you know? So I stopped being the diversity, let me help you understand diversity girl too. I'm I'm just an angry black girl. And if you guys, if we wanna have a good workable situation, you guys are gonna have to understand that and be okay with that be curious about that. And that's it. So I feel like what was helpful for me at one point was no longer healthful for me at another point. And that's what I, that's what comes to mind when I think about, does the work look different? If we're striving for being healthy, if we're striving for being whole as a person of color, given the situations we're in, what may be healthy one time may be Hmm. actually what is destructive or harmful another time. Hmm. Hmm. This is going to sound trite, but that's deep. <laughs> like, like it's so deep. Uh, like when I'm, hmm, because when I think of how my and gosh, I have so much work to do, and how my body is set up in opposition to racialized oppression, that mm-hmm. a lot of the choices that I make is to dissuade bad encounters. Mm-hmm. To just, I, I just don't want to deal with that, so I'll yep. do what I need to do to not even have to yeah but that's not necessarily a that doesn't address the systemic or the injustice the systemic problem or the injustice but b i don't know if that's the healthiest response Mm -hmm. and and the thing is there's i feel like there's times i mean you'll have to think about what it is for you i feel like there's times where it's healthy because 
it's protective. It's literally keeping you safe. Survive. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it's and, the survive part. Yeah. It's yes, yeah, the survive part. And that's a healthy thing to do to just survive. <laughs> yeah. And then mm. maybe things change for you and it no longer feels like survival. It feels like yeah. suffocation. Okay. You know, and yeah, yeah. right. Yes. Um, and you'll feel that again in your body. You'll feel mm. that switch. Like this mm. is no longer serving me. And I would almost yeah. rather be fired, let go, cause commotion than <laughs> be this person one more day. Yes. I remember the year, the moment, the week, the situation when it switched for me. And it, I mean, it caused, it was a thing. I mean, I was called to the president's office and it wasn't like I even went crazy. I literally just finally said how I really feel about everything and everybody. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was actually um, George George Floyd, Breonna Taylor summer. It will, mm. I think the whole world changed, literally. Mm-hmm. There was a huge shift for me in how I approached work. Yeah. And wow. it, I, it, I, I didn't plan for it. It just happened in my body. I'm like, oh, this is no longer working. I'm going to speak out. And if it means I lose my job, I lose my reputation. I turn off students. I am the angry black woman. Then so be it. Mm-hmm. It would be great that on the other side, that the space of not merely surviving or, you know, making do is the space where we can thrive. Mm-hmm. I want to trail off our the rest of our time here around what wholeness and life-giving community can look like. Listen, this spiritual bypassing stuff in these traditions, which is quite often all traditions, and let's face it, if you're in community, at some point someone's going to wrong you. But how can we navigate those spaces in a healthier way, um, in a more holistic way? So I know that we can't just look at community. We we need to look at ourselves and how ourself is also connected into relationship and into the whole of community and then, you know, community broader. But when we are reacting from bad church experience, I'll use bad, bad church experiences Mm -hmm. and, and I'll make a lot of institutional Christianity is postured around the bad form, especially around mental health still. What does the life-giving, healthier, um, more, more holistic, liberative posture and way look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do have thoughts. And, I, and I, just to preface, I don't want to paint the picture that anything is easy, easy to do, easy to cultivate, easy to grow, yeah. easy to change overnight. It's just not like how... <laughs> How many centuries have we been trying to change this country, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we can still strive, right? And we get, as we strive, we get better little day. So better every day. In the church, you know, I like to leave people with themes, principles, if you will, to live by. And I always come back to three things. Safety, but safety by curiosity and compassion. There's a lot of things that curiosity genuine curiosity, not skeptical curiosity, genuine curiosity, and then compassion with that curiosity can heal. I mean, you don't necessarily have to, you definitely don't have to have lived another person's experiences. That's impossible. You don't even have to understand someone else's experience. You do need to be curious. You do need to be compassionate. There needs to be that humility, I'd probably throw that in there. 
mm-hmm. humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There may be an experience outside of yours. There is an experience outside of yours that is, you know, different, you know, integrous, real, you know, no less real than yours. And so I think just as a body, you know, if you take on the idea that we are a body, mm-hmm. you know, in the church, the body of Christ, that there's a lot that can be healed or that can be made more livable mm-hmm. by being curious and compassionate. And those are the things that help bring safety. No one is going to stay in a church, in a community where they're not safe. Again, we're not designed to. It's one of our most fundamental needs, Mm. like fundamental Mm. need for safety. I believe that safety and belonging is is our most important psychological need. And um, yeah, it it, kind of makes, not makes me, I don't know if laugh's the right word, but I, I guess it's actually maddening that there's knowing, first of all, being a pastor's kid, um, so always like being cognizant that pastors have needs and desires and w- amongst those is wanting to grow their church, fill their church, impact more people. But like the one thing they need to do, which is just make people feel safe, is like the one thing they're not able mm. to do. And I'm like, do you guys mm. not see <laughs> what's going skill. on here? Yeah, like oh. people don't feel safe. They don't want to be in your church or they're not going to come. And you're bumping your head against the wall about growing your membership and taking Christ to the world. and you're where you are is the last place people want to be because they don't feel safe. Hmm. So think about that, figure out how to make that happen. And I'm giving you a couple hints that curiosity and compassion will take, will help you take a big step forward in that regard. Safety and belonging, a core of our being. I needed that line. I needed that for my book. Good. Well, there you go. (laughs) Too late. Maybe second version. (laughs) It's literally all we need. It's all we're looking for, be it interpersonal relationships, friendships, churches, community. It's all we yeah. want. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, okay, I'll put you on the spot as we trail mm-hmm. off here then. What are the, or, or can you give us, oh, I hate asking this question because it be, then it becomes too strategic for something that can't be, uh, but perhaps. Could you name some communal practices and, and, we'll, and we'll put it within a church context, communal practices that can cultivate curiosity, compassion, humility, safety, belonging? Mm. Yeah. So I think um, the, one of the first things that comes to mind is that typically happens in conversation. Um, so I, I love, I mean, I love in theory, the idea of things like small groups and, you know, life groups and process groups, whatever you want. Um, because, you know, pulpit, and we're talking about the church, pulpit to pew, only so much can happen. <laughs> and yeah. actually, if people are going to be Boring. offended, they're they're probably going to be offended in the pulpit to pew. I mean, because it's a <laughs> it's one by nature of it being a one directional conversation that yeah, yeah. it just no matter how great the pastor is, the it's a one one directional conversation that that's not conversation. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I even wonder, take it. (laughs) Yeah. I even wonder just like super 
like hypothetically, what would it look like to get rid of pulpit to pew model in general? Like, I don't, I don't even know what other option there could be, but just being really big on communication and conversation and interpersonal relation, I'm like, how it's, it's just very easy for harm to be done from pulpit to pew. And that's, that's just what it is. So anything where we can, um, shift the balance of power because power is what gets in the way of some of this stuff where we can shift the balance mm. of power and we just have two people, three people, four people, five people really exchanging, like talking, processing. How was that for you? How does that fit for you? What do you think? What's your take? What's your thought? How can I be there for you? What, all of that stuff that happens in the conversations we have with our best friends, the yeah. more that that can happen in our yeah, churches, yeah. Mm-hmm. the more we're going to find that, safety, you know, which is why there are people in our lives who can say, I feel very safe with, because again, power, there's no power dynamic. It's just Hmm. those things I'm talking about, curiosity, compassion, conversation. Hmm. And so I think part of the reason why we're in the situation we're in when it comes to the church is because we're by default dealing with power and power, power. malformed power. And that F-U-C-K everything up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. power is, Mm -hmm. yeah, just where isn't there an issue where there's malformed power, malformed power. So if we really want to change the church, we, I, we, we, I think a structural conversation might be the next wave. I really value the words and the thoughts that you have shared on this episode. Are there any final thoughts that you'd like to throw out there and then trail off with the shout outs of your work? Final thoughts is thank you for this conversation. Like I love you. I love thinking like this. I love exploring like this. I love hype hypotheticalizing. I've just made up a word (laughs) like this. Um, You know, even beyond like what feels like realistically can happen, I still love postulating. Um, And I think it's important. I think it's healthy. And I think it's in the postulations that we find something that is realistic, but transformative enough, you know? Um, So thank you for this conversation. And the second thing I'll say is I course referenced my book (laughs) Mm -hmm. earlier as you know there's i'm definitely not the only person of faith and you know mental health expert professional out there writing at this intersection but um a lot of thoughtfulness a lot of research a lot of postulating um and a lot of just real stuff went into that book and so for those looking to have you know have a kind of looking for permission to explore their emotions in a way where um, it's not something to be demonized, but actually, you know, I, I always say emotions are our biggest advocates. They're our biggest allies, all of them, good, bad, everything in between. So if you're curious about mm-hmm. why I believe that from a person of faith, I would check out that book, my book, Why Do I Feel Like This? It's orange. (laughs) You won't miss it. (laughs) These are the things that set us free. 